Bring it in. Read option here to, well, try to recap whatever the hell was yesterday or Sunday by the time you're listening to this because the NFL right now is in a weird, weird place. COVID running rampant, games on Tuesdays, games on Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays. It feels like we're back in 2020 and uh, and I got to be honest, I'm not loving it. So uh, Scotty Miller here with me today as we are getting ready to to run through all of the games yesterday. Two massive upsets, uh, some things that I think we kind of expected to happen uh, and, and a couple of top teams in the NFC. And, and even depending on how you want to view Green Bay's close win against Baltimore, uh, we're, we're talking about three of the top teams in the NFL that all of a sudden have a little bit more of a question mark put at the back of their name. So uh, before we get into that, how are you? You were up in Philly this weekend. You guys yeah. were doing your classic Grinch miss. You were hanging out with my sister and my uh, my brother-in-law and, and that whole crew. How was uh, how was your little trip? It was good. Uh, we ended up uh, weirdly going to a pop-up bar in Philly and then out to a, a nice uh, restaurant for dinner. Uh, so... It was nice. It's good to see everyone uh, because the way the world is going, I'll probably never see anyone again. Yeah, man. It's uh, it seems to be getting <laughs> a lot worse. Definitely before things get better. Um, uh, go get your boosters. If you haven't, if you're, if you're eligible for it, mm-hmm. if you can, I mean, at this point, I think that's, that's kind of what it's kind of, what's going to save this thing, but you know, the NFL is is struggling. The NBA is – and since the start of the season, the NBA has now hit over 100 players uh, that have tested positive. Wow. Which, I mean, considering yeah. there's only about 500 or something NBA players, we're talking about 20% of the league in the NBA has tested positive for COVID in the last few months. That is not a good sign. Uh, and that is a league with a higher vaccination rate than the NFL and the highest uh, amongst all um, major professional sports leagues. And yet, you know, they're still getting affected by it because this new variant, and we talked a little bit about it on Friday show, but this new variant is it's kicking people's ass, man. And, and luckily it seems like it's not quite as uh effective for lack of a better word like i don't think it's it's making people as sick but the transmission rate of it is just it's just through the roof so uh but look we're not doctors so we're not the people that you want to get this information from um go and and read up on it and keep yourself safe especially as we are heading into the holidays um because the holidays are seemingly going to feel a little more eerie eerily similar to the 2020 i think than than what the majority of 2021 has been which is oh things are opening up a little bit and yeah man it's uh it's bizarre and we're, we're seeing it you know crush the sports leagues um the nfl it's just ever you know i have adam schefter as a uh, as, as i have the notification on for every time he tweets right because in a pre-pandemic world you would get, you know, maybe two or three tweets from Adam Schefter a day with news, you know, NFL news or whatever. Uh, obviously, stuff like trades and free agency signings. 
but I almost like want to take it off for a little bit because my, I feel like my phone is just buzzing all the time Blowing up. and it's, it's just <laughs> never good news. It's just, Oh, this person has COVID, you know, Travis Kelsey just tested positive for COVID about an hour ago. Um, and it's just, it's getting bigger and bigger and, and, there's so many things bigger than sports and more important than, than sports, but I'm just getting annoyed. <laughs> I'm just getting annoyed by all of these, these tweets coming in and the same thing with Woj in the NBA. It's uh, it's crazy. And, and we're seeing a tangible effect on the field, right? Like at the time of us reporting this, the Browns and Raiders are playing right now and Nick Mullins is starting at quarterback, right? Like this is a game. And, and what's wild is we're in week 15, Scotty. And if the Browns win this game, they're in first place in the AFC North. If the Browns lose this game, they're in last place in the AFC North. That is how tight that division is. And so to have this at this point, and again, so much bigger than sports, but just thinking about the NFL side of this and how it's going to affect things, it's, it's going to change a lot, you know, for a lot of those mid-tier teams that are scrambling, you know, they, they changed the, the game for the Washington football team and the Eagles. Well, Washington's going to get most of their guys back who tested out last week. And now the Eagles have had two or three guys go on the list. So it's like they pushed the yeah, game Landon back. Collins. Yep. Uh, Landon Dickerson. Or Dickerson, um, sorry. Yeah. But the Eagles are now getting fucked by this. And they're getting punished for doing it the right way. And now it's going to feel like, and now, you know, Brandon Sheriff, whatever, uh, a Washington football team offensive lineman, probably their best of lineman is now uh, positive as well. But I mean, I, I want to talk about the sport, the, the games themselves, but I, I think it's just it's become too much of the headline across sports, but particularly in the NFL right now that I, I think there's no other way for us to open up the show. Yeah, and, and you know, I think one of the things that, uh, that I said last year was what's it going to take, um, you know, referring to who who is it going to take for a positive test to – for, for the NFL to realize, oh, maybe making money off of this at this time in the world is not the greatest thing. Um, and here we are. We've had now a handful of, of star NFL players test positive, and it's just like, eh, whatever. We're yeah. going to get our money. I sent you that. Uh, it was the gif of, I think it was like Donald Duck counting money, and I was like, live look at Roger Goodell right now. Yeah. Um, so well, and you know, it's not it's like just, it's annoying. It's not like they're playing in front of empty stadiums right now either. Well, that's that's the worst part, right? And so now you know, uh, uh, someone doesn't get to go see across the country to see their uh, their uh, family, their in laws' family for uh, for Christmas. And why is that? Oh, because uh, your cousin Jack and seventy other thousand like minded folks decided it was okay to go to a game and not wear masks. So, which look bye-bye. at the end of, at, all at, of you. at the end of the day, like that's their prerogative, like. Vito is not on the pod right now because he got a last minute ticket to the Browns game. And as we were sitting here recording this, he's in, you know, the Browns stadium watching this game uh, as the Raiders are up 13 to seven. But I have no problem with people deciding that, um, you know, if they want to make that choice for themselves, given everything that's going on right now, that's fine. But then the important part is it's like, yeah, but also you have to understand the consequences. Right. Like mm-hmm. if I decided to go to this Browns game or, or, you know, the Eagles game or any of these games and it meant I couldn't go home for Christmas or whatever, then I then I would have to accept the consequences of that action. Um, and, and I think what's kind of making this dangerous right now is there's going to be a lot of people who don't do that. 
there's going to be a lot of people who go to these games, maybe, you know, not even know that they caught COVID or whatever, and then are still going to go home for Christmas and see their family and everything else and potentially spread it even worse, which yep. having and, a, and a, a be variant very- like this that can be transmitted as easily as it is, you know, it seems not great. And, and I don't know what you do. Like, I don't know what the NFL's yeah. option is here that solves anything. Because those will be the first people who complain and the loudest people complaining when uh, they don't get to go see Travis Kelsey for the game the day after Christmas that they paid for. Uh, and that's just an example. Or they don't get to – why? how is uh, so-and-so going to go and catch COVID and screw up our playoff chances? Those are the people that that annoy the absolute living shit out of me. And yeah. that's the problem with, with the NFL just sitting there stacking money like that because it enables that behavior. I mean, I, I, look – I don't think we can be mad at the NFL. Like, I really don't. Like, the NFL is going to do what the NFL wants to do. The NFL has been an immoral, you know, organization and company for a very long time and has profited off of other people and and, uh, other people's injuries and other people's uh, livelihood for a very, very, very long time. And yet it's never stopped us before before from being like, oh, I'm going to watch it. We, We hope that things change and we implore that they change. And but. And we're still sitting here. We still sat down on Sunday and watched football all day, right? So it's not it's not making us up. Um, and, and so we're just as you know, it, it, it's hypocritical of us to sit here and criticize the NFL. My argument is just, I, and not even an argument. I guess my stance on it is, just, I don't know what the right call is here. You know, like I, I think it's ridiculous the people I see on Twitter being like doesn't matter, man. You're missing all these players. You got to show up and win anyway. You got to show up and win. This is football. You're getting paid millions. You got to go up and you got to show out and you got to play anyway. Backups and everything is unacceptable. I'm like, okay, well, Browns fan, because that's who I saw it right, you know, right before we started recording. Um, you're an idiot because to say that, oh, just the backups next man up and you got to execute anyway, they're backups for a reason. Like, no, mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? Like, it's okay to be annoyed that your backup's playing. Your team is getting screwed over by COVID. But I also don't know if there's a solution that could fix it because they already pushed the game back once. Your quarterback didn't clear the protocols. You're still missing offensive linemen. You're still missing your number two running back. You're still missing number one running back and your number one tight end. Pushing the game back didn't save you, you know? And, and I look at Washington and the Eagles, right? And that's an, a, a, the other side of the coin, which is that Washington is getting most of their players back. And now the Eagles are going to be losing more players. And the Eagles are now screwed over because of this decision to push it back. And so in both cases, you know, the Eagles fans might be pissed off about it. And I get it. But Washington football team fans are like, no, they played it back. So it's got to be fair, man. It's got to be fair. And I keep seeing all these people arguing with each other. And it's Twitter. So it's a cesspool. And it's an area where people are just going to go and yell at each other anyway. But there's not a good solution here, right? The, the quote-unquote best solution where in terms of you're, you're keeping player safety in mind, you're keeping fan safety in mind, it would be to pause the season, push everything back a week. But the scope and the magnitude of, of the playoffs and the TV contracts and the Super Bowl and the logistics and everything that goes into that, it, it's completely unrealistic to do that at the same time. So I don't think there's a good option. I don't think there's a good alternative to any of this. I think strengthening the protocols and stuff is what they had to do. And ultimately, if it comes down to cities being like, hey, you know what? You can't have this many people at a football game moving forward like they did before. 
you know, and maybe doing more of that hybrid model like the Chiefs did last year, where it was a limited number of people. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, but it's a shit show right now. And I think that's probably the best way to look at it, right? Which is just no one has an answer to this. It's ridiculous to get online and start screaming at each other as if you know any better, as if you think that you actually understand what the best way to do this is. I get that it's frustrating and I'm frustrated by it too, but it's a shit show. That's where we're at. It's a shit show. So one of my favorite movies of all time is the Martian with Matt Damon. And the end of that movie, he's speaking in front of, and sorry if this is a spoiler, I guess, technically, but if you haven't seen it by now, I mean, the movie came out in like 2015. So like, come on, but he's talking about like getting stranded on Mars and like how he came back. And it's like, you just get to work, right? You just, start with one problem and then you solve that one and then you get another problem. And eventually if you solve enough problems, you get to come home. And I think that's kind of the mindset we need to have here, which is this like, no one knows how to get home from Mars and live on Mars for a year or however long he's up there. Right. But you start with one problem, you fix it and another one and another one, eventually you get to some sort of solution. And so I just, I I look at all these people going back and forth and bitching about stuff. And I'm like, you don't know any better. So stop acting like you do. You know, like just let's try to figure out something. And, and at the end of the day, to help yes. solve the problem. Yeah, exactly. And at the and at the end of the day, do your part, because, you know, I'm still seeing NBA players taking pictures with fans and shit. And I'm like, how like how are we at that point right now where I'm seeing Boogie Cousins arm in arm with some like super fan, which like I get it. It would suck if that guy's a super fan. He comes to see you don't get to talk to him, whatever. But like, sorry, these are concessions you make. And. If we see another breakout in Milwaukee, how do you not look at that and be like, that's a really bad look for the team and for the organization, for the players and for the league as a whole? Yep. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> that's But that's exactly my so, point, right? Like, we don't yeah. know. No one knows. You don't know. I don't know. And I'm not trying to be like soapbox here, but it's just like, I don't know if can't, pausing the season is going to help. I don't know, but like you got you got to try to do something, I guess. And I applaud, you know, players who who are going to take extra, you know, measures to try to keep it safe. But there's some things that we can't control either. So, um, I guess there's there's criticism that can be levied on everybody. Honestly, um, just go get the fucking booster, get the shot, and let's see how long we can keep this thing running before the league fucking shuts down. Um. Mm. Now, there's only three more weeks of the regular season left. Um, so hopefully for a lot of these teams, you know, that are struggling, like that's going to eliminate a lot of this stuff. And hopefully once we get into the playoff area, they can, you know, playoff area, the playoff time frames, you know, they can heighten up restrictions and, and try to get through it safely. I don't know what the hell the NBA is going to do, college basketball, um, the bowl games in college football. I mean, it's all – it's a shit show. It's a shit show. Yep. Um, Jam, you lost on Friday night. That sucked. Yeah. We're really game, cheery. Though. We're really cheery on this pod right now. Um, I just I, I'm going through a little bit of a little bit of a flu game here. I'm not not feeling great. Oh, I'll just I'll just emphasize that now. I'm not feeling great, but we will give you the best content that we uh, we are capable of. This is my Jordan flu game. Um, it was a good game. Jamie was just out coached. North Dakota State was better prepared, better coached. Um, Cole Johnson, who's been at JMU since I was there, 
Uh, I cover the, the kid, you know, he's been there for six years. He's done a lot. He's one of the most statistically is one of the best quarterbacks Jamie's ever had. Um, but he just always has had a propensity to kind of not show up in games and they need him to. Um, it was uh, it was a bummer to see the FCS journey for JMU end that way. Um, but I will say on, on the topic of dumb fans, North Dakota State as a whole, I respect the shit out of that program. I, I love their football team. Um, I, I love the way they go about it. They've they have two coaches, two former coaches who are both coaching at FBS programs, one of which is a power five, Chris Kleiman at uh, Kansas State. But some of their fans, and again, for the overwhelming majority of them are nice people, but it's crazy, man. The North Dakota State fans like today are still talking about it and shitting on JMU fans and JMU. And like, I just don't get it, man. Like, you guys got a national championship to look <laughs> forward to. Like, why are you still yeah. coming at us? Like, you guys won the game. You were the better team. Like, I don't think any JMU fan – I think we were the more talented team, but they were so much better coached than we will. We were, and they didn't come out and play in the game. So like they didn't play up to par. North Dakota State was a better team. Why are people still dumping on us, man? Like, and, and so dumb too, because they're like, yeah, JMU, go go enjoy being in the Sun Belt, and and you know, not not never gonna chance to really compete for anything, and, and for all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, like some of the lack of understanding about it, right? And 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 not only that, like the impact that the conference realignment has had because when Oklahoma and Texas decided to leave the big 12 and go to the sec, the trickle down effect was massive. And the conference that was impacted the most, probably aside from the big 12 was the American where we've seen the American be the premier group of five conference right there. Mike Oresco, who is the commissioner of the American, like has said forever, like we're the sixth power conference. Um, and whether it was UCF or Houston and obviously what Cincinnati's done, um, they have been an awesome top level program, but they're losing their three best programs. They're losing three huge markets. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's going to hurt them a lot. And on top of it too, the teams that they brought in to replace them, not great. I mean, they took, you know, UTSA is like the best of the teams they brought in to replace them. The Sunbelt is the, is the best group of five conference now in, in, in football, in my opinion, um, I think they're going to be right up there with, with the American, like what's remaining of the American. And so to say like, man, you know, you're, you're leaving the FCS to go be like the fourth best team in the Sun Belt. I'm like, I don't hate that at all. I'm excited to go <laughs> yeah. watch us play on ESPN. You all, they also don't understand what it's like having to deal with flow sports, which is the worst, um, streaming service of all time so amazing season they're just kids as big cat likes to say can't Chris they're just kids um I did I did get asked to hop on a a, tw a couple of Twitter spaces on Friday night one before that I was in and I was like getting ready to uh, kind of chime in and uh, the old therapy session of, uh, well, of well, that's college what was, football commiserators that's what was funny man like Friday night I'm like getting ready to watch the game. And um, they were like, yeah, like, come on and like hop on at like 830 or so. I was like, cool. So I did. I got all ready for it. And I had some notes in front of me. I wanted to make sure I sounded smart because, you know, it was going to be like a re relatively decent sized thing. And uh, they never asked me to come on in the pregame. 
And so then the guy texted me who used to cover UVA sports and did some stuff for JMU when I was there as well. And uh, he texted me after and was like, Hey man, um, do you want to come on after the game? And at that point I had uh, a good amount of bourbon and um, was, was inebriated pretty hard. And I was like, yep, yep. I'm going to come on. And I did. And then uh, we had a fun little conversation. I was on there for about 20 minutes. And uh, by the time I was getting ready to get off, you and my sister and everyone FaceTimed me as well. And uh, you pulled me off. I had a good time. It was probably when I needed to go. Um, oh, good. <laughs> Happy other, to help. Yeah. Other than that, man, there's not a whole lot going on. It's just COVID and I guess football. <laughs> that's just, that's just, it's COVID and football. Technically that's what we have. Um, football ish. It's football ish. <laughs> uh, so why don't we take a break? We're going to come back. We are going to talk about the games that happened on Sunday, a shocker in Detroit, uh, a shocker in new Orleans, and just a whole lot of, whole lot of interesting shit to talk about saturday night was really interesting too new england and indianapolis we'll get into all that coming up on the other side uh so take a quick break and we'll be right back week 15 it's probably going to go down in the history of the 2021 season as one of the more um memorable weeks uh but for a bunch of different reasons and it all started on thursday night we had an epic game between the chiefs and the chargers lots of people calling into question you know all the fourth down decisions by brandon staley you know is that the right thing when do we do it when do we not do it um my personal belief on the fourth down stuff is that we make way too big of a deal about it yeah um i I think we judge coaches now based on like hey are you do you believe like do are you aggressive in going for it on fourth down are you not like even the most aggressive coaches are still like pretty situational dependent when they're doing for Brandon Staley's are really like the first, like Brandon Staley's got a little bit of that, like Daryl Morey, you know, and uh, Mike D'Antonio where it's like, I'm just fully trusting the analytics and we're just going to see where that kind of takes us. But I don't know, man, like, yeah, kick the field goals. The points are there, whatever. But we saw it again with the, with the Ravens and Packers too. I don't know, man. It's just like, there's so many other moments that lead up to those specific decisions yeah. that to say that that's the outcome is that moment. I think it's just, 100%. it's just overlooking things, you know, it's, it's, it's madly overlooking it. And the thing is, I would, I don't know the the stat on this, but I would reckon that the number or the percent of time that a coach goes for it on fourth down and it's, it's a 50, 50, right? Yeah. You're damned if you do and damned if you don't, if they get it, the coach looks like a hero. If they don't get it, the coach is a dumbass for doing it. So like, yeah. And, and if you don't do it, perspective. So like, people, people will be like, Oh, well, why didn't you do it? You could have gone for four yeah, and fourth exactly. down there. Yeah. So you exactly. lose so, two, you want to know analytics. You lose two out of the three of those outcomes as a yeah. coach in terms of public there perception. I just, so just go for it. It's I, the same. I, I don't understand the backlash uh, it, it, because for that very reason. Right. And, and we're yeah. all armchair head coaches and GMs and shit. And, and we are sitting here trying to decide whether or not the guy who's getting paid to do that job has, uh, has the right uh, capacity uh, in that moment to make the correct decision. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say that most of the time they do. 
Yeah, and, but in, and even still, it goes back to my, you know, what, what I say about, like, I don't love to criticize play calling. Like, that's arguably the number one thing you'll see, like, really diehard fans being like, what was our play calling, man? You run the ball this many times, you do this. And I'm like, I'm not to say that coaches are infallible or that we should just be like, oh, they know what they're doing. Like, no, coaches deserve to be criticized just as much as anybody. But to sit there and be like, oh, well, the play call was wrong here when it could have been a, a host of so many other things, execution, what the defense did. Like the defense could have just played better defense that day. And it could also be scheme. It could also be individual play calling. But there's so many other factors to it that fans and the media love to just boil it down to such simplistic things when there's a million things involved in being a head coach and running a team that start from Monday or Sunday when you get off the field from one game to kick off of the next game through that whole game and in-game coaching and everything else. And eventually over time, like you'll see patterns and trends, but the fourth down outrage club. And the other thing, the other part of it too, NBA fans were willing to embrace analytics. It was weird at first in some old heads. You'll still see like, oh, Steph Curry would never be able to make it work in my day when it's like, I, I hate that argument and those people so much. But <laughs> Three points is three points. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. <laughs> but, but football, especially like college football, has you know a much more conservative, and I'm not necessarily meaning Republican or you know here or politically here. I just mean in general, like there is a much more conservative um, viewpoint of it where it's like don't change the game like but too much change is a bad thing like we we again we romanticize the glory days of guys getting their legs snapped in half and concussed on every other play and you completely ignore all the growth and honestly what is in turn into a much more enjoyable product with the way that offenses and, and athletes have developed over time that i think because analytics has now creeped in here it becomes that much more divisive because like even when I was, you know, at home for Thanksgiving, I'm sitting on the couch watching the Raiders and the Cowboys game. And the Cowboys had kicked a field goal and there was like an offsides penalty or something that put them, you know, that they ended up taking the points off the board. And they went ahead and went for it on fourth down and they didn't get it. And my uncle sat there when they made the decision to go for it at the goal line instead of keeping the points. He said, you know what your grandfather used to say? was you never take points off the board. You get points on the board, even if there's a penny, you, you take the points. And then, of course, it proves out to be true in this one instant. And he looks at me, he's like, yep, yeah, told you, see? But there are also, it's like, hey, you got Dak Prescott and Zeke, and you're there on the one-yard line. All you got to do is punch it in the end zone. Like, I, I, I get that decision, too. And the analytics would tell you that we need to do that. So the old heads, the old fans hate this whole modern revolution where it's like, just kick the field goal, take the points, come on. I've been watching football for 50 years and you take the points every single time when I think you, you don't take the points every single time. The whole issue with analytics to me is the context in which you're applying them, right? Like there's uh, there's a, a line in the show Scrubs. It was one of my favorite things, uh, one of my favorite shows growing up. And I think about this line all the time when people talk about analytics, which is that statistics and, and big numbers, right? Big surveys and everything are great for analyzing big pieces of data, but when you're talking about the individual, one individual decision, right? One individual play or one individual person, you can't apply the, the larger scale of whatever survey or whatever analytics you want to use to an individual person because there's individual factors that are different there. You can use it for context. You can use it for partial decision-making. 
but you can't do it every single time. But you also can't not embrace it because that is ultimately how we progress and get better. And we've seen a lot of coaches succeed with it. So that's my analytics rant. I just, it was just like every fucking person had an opinion about that. How do you not go for it on four? How, why'd you go for there? Why did you take the points? Oh, you have to do that. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Just, just once. Can yeah. everybody just shut the <laughs> fuck up and just enjoy the fact that it was a crazy close game that came down to the wire and went to overtime. Yeah. And it's two amazing young quarterbacks and offenses. Just yeah, one. and the the touchdown catch by Travis Kelsey, who's back, or maybe he just got put on the COVID list. Uh, look, man, the offense for the Chiefs looked like the Chiefs that we know them as, right? Yeah. It's the second game in a row Patrick Mahomes has thrown for over 400 yards. Uh, <clears throat> so, look, I, I, I just I don't understand – why we ever doubted them now <laughs> because it's like here we are back again guess who's back the chiefs are back my friend <laughs> i mean i look i i said it to you when we talked about it on friday right like if the, if they came out and looked really good in this game then I, I i would be forced right to to lay down a lot of what i was saying this is the first time Mahomes has looked anything close to what he did before 31 of 47 400 yards and three touchdowns um, but a lot of it still was conservative, right? They threw the ball 50 times, right? It wasn't on deep shots. It was taking what the defense was giving you, which is kind of what I think we've been hoping for from this Chiefs offense all season, which is just take what's given to you, man, right? If the short checkdowns are there, if the crosses over the middle with Kelsey are there and he can make it and, and, and take it for anything bigger. I mean, what's wild here is the uh, – the, target distribution here from the receivers of Kansas city, which I think people were getting frustrated. They're like, how are you not finding ways to get Kelsey and Hill involved? Even if it's not in the ways that we saw you do it for, you know, the last few years with this run, Kelsey and Hill had 13 targets each 26 of 45 total or 47 total targets. Right. So I quick math. That's what more than 50%. I know that. So I, to me, it's, it's crazy yeah. that it's taken them this long to be like, let's just find ways to do that. Now, they were also going up against the banged up uh, L.A. team, um, you know, and, and I think what we've learned, too, is this, this Chargers defense has a lot of holes in it. They're young. I think the future is bright. They're missing another good pass rusher on the other side of Joey Bosa. They're missing a good interior defensive lineman. They don't really have a whole lot of depth at linebacker. And the secondary, even though Asante Samuel Jr. has been an awesome rookie this year, they're still developing and trying to figure out, you know, long-term what it's going to be. And this Chargers team is still super dangerous. I think they could go on a mini run in the playoffs, but um, the Chiefs right now are the front runners, but I'll say this, they're definitely not unbeatable and they're definitely not impervious. And we saw the Patriots going on this crazy winning streak. Was it seven games in a row they had won? <laughs> yeah. And now they got, you know, kind of their shit handed to them by the Colts. But I'll say this, that game, the Colts and Pats game on Saturday night was just as tight, right? Like, if it's not for the blocked punt, this game yeah. is, is honestly played and won by a, a, at least definitely the fourth quarter. But through a lot of it, um, through the Patriots, like Carson Wentz was terrible. What did he go, 5 of 12, I think it was? Yeah. Like Carson 57 for, yards. for 57 yards. Um I'm amazed that the, that the Pats didn't sell out more on Jonathan Taylor, 
But Jonathan Taylor had the 67-yard touchdown run. And, again, that dude's a, a monster. I was as high on him coming out of college as, as just about anybody. You know, 70 of his 170 yards came on that one rushing touchdown. And then the rest of it was 28 carries for 100 yards after that, right? Which is not bad, but you you held him outside of the one run to less than three yards a carry or less than four yards a carry uh, throughout the rest of the game. Like, that's doing a pretty good job managing it. You have the two interceptions from Mac Jones, which hurt you. Um, they were not able to run the ball as effectively. And, uh, you know, when push came to shove, the Colts had the game swinging play, which was the block punt for a touchdown and forcing a couple of big turnovers. Yeah. I, I, honestly, the, the, the critical play there, but, you know, even for as explosive as Jonathan Taylor had looked, uh, limiting him to almost three yards of carry, uh, that's just that's a really good job by the, by the Patriots defense. But I think uh, for the the Colts on defense, what the the and I I hope this was their game plan going in was to stop the run, force Mac Jones into throwing the ball, which has you know Mac Jones had his one of his best games of the season statistic wise. He was twenty six forty five. He threw almost three hundred. It was just a yard shy and then two touchdowns. I mean, that's a pretty good game for, for a rookie quarterback and in a pretty important game too. Um, but his mistakes were costly though. You know, you can't throw a red yeah. zone interception like, like he did. Yeah. You know, the, the one that Darius Leonard picked off, like, like there's just, there's, there's a couple of small decisions there where it reminds you like he's a rookie, but to your point, this was like, I've, I think a lot of people had been waiting to see new England having to come back into a game, right? Can the Patriots come yeah. back in a game when they're losing when it's going to have to be on the arm of Mac Jones? And Mac Jones did a bunch of pretty good things. Um, you know, he completed a, about 50%, a little little above 50% of his passes, uh, and he had two interceptions, and yet he still had a 53.5 QBR, which is not good by any means, but it's average, you know, it, it's it's average in the NFL it is doing something around around there. It's maybe a little below average. But nonetheless, when you look at that stat line without the QBR, because the QBR factors in a lot of other things like depth of target and, and um, you know, yeah. not probability, but it, it uses other metrics other than just your, your basic box score. And if you looked at just the basic box score, I would expect his QBR to be a lot lower. But he also did some good things at the same time. Credit to the Colts for, yeah. just like we said, the Patriots were going to do to the Colts. The Colts did it right back to the Pats. And now we have to have a conversation yep. about how real the Colts are as a threat um, to make some noise in the playoffs. For sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, running or stopping the run is is partially what forced Mac Jones into, into making some of those decisions. Uh, because usually, you know, when – the running game opens up the pass. It's easy for Mac Jones. It's not him having to force stuff. Uh, that hasn't happened all season, and that's what kind of helped made him look like a rookie. Um, for the Colts, though, I mean, if that defense is going to keep you in a lot of ball games, then we're sitting here saying the same thing that we did uh, about the Chiefs last week, essentially, right? It's like... Uh, the defense is going to keep you in ball games, and your offense is decent enough to win because you have a superstar in it. Yeah. Um, in the Chiefs' case, they have three, and you know. But uh, if Jonathan Taylor, uh, leading uh, candidate in uh, in the MVP race, 
should be is uh is is going to be putting up over 150 scrimmage yards every game and getting in the end zone every game uh they're gonna be tough to contend with i to me i look i think these two teams are very similar and i I, and i the the big difference being is one you have the singular kind of bell cow back and jonathan taylor um but in pretty much every other way the patriots are the superior team patriots had a bad day you know there's no other way to kind of cook you know sugarcoat it and given the run that they were on they them losing this game doesn't make me think all of a sudden okay well now the colts are you know or the patriots are, are a lot worse than we thought like i still think the patriots have a very realistic chance of going to the super bowl uh because i think though their style is going to travel well and it's going to have to most likely run through kansas city though we'll see how the rest of you know obviously the season kind of plays out here and how the seating works out but they're set up now with a huge game against Buffalo to see who's going to, you know, win, end up winning that AFC East because the bills are sitting there at eight and six and they got another game to try to avenge that game against new England. And we'll see that next week. And I think that'll end up being one of the more marquee matchups of this weekend. Um, The Colts can absolutely make some noise, but at some point, just like we said about new England, at some point, you're going to need Carson Wentz to do more. And I don't feel good about Carson Wentz at all. Uh, There's five of 12. I mean, that is a Josh Rosen stat line, right? When he was putting up those, those weird numbers where he would throw the ball like 25 times and finish with like 70 yards and like 40% completion. And somehow would have like two interceptions. I, I give Wentz credit that he's not turning the ball over, but they're just not giving him opportunities to because I don't think they trust him. And I also think they realize where their bread is buttered, which is with Jonathan Taylor. Yep. Uh, and that leads us to Sunday. Uh, we have to start off with the Detroit and Arizona game. Um, wow. Just <laughs> stunning, happened? just stunning result. Um, I blacked I, out. I put a little bit on the on the Lions money line when they were up 10 nothing as a long shot uh and that ended up paying pretty good dividends for me on 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 Sunday uh this has been my issue with Arizona all year right we've talked about some of the best teams and who we all kind of think are the best teams and, and rarely have we included the Cardinals despite their record and how good the offense has looked at times as a clear cut top, you know, like, like we don't talk about them the same. We've talked about green Bay or Tampa Bay, right. Who were always kind of the two real clear cut best teams. And for me, it was always, you know, you, you, the Kyler Murray side of this whole thing for as electric as he is and entertaining as he is. And I I say out of everybody in the NFL, there's maybe one or two other players that are as fun to watch as Kyler Murray when he's doing Kyler Murray things, but he's not the same guy when he's halfway through a season that the general wear and tear that gets put on a quarterback and NFL players body, especially if you get banged up is one thing, but to do it at his size and makeup, you know, he's not built like Jalen hurts and, and Russell Wilson, who at, at similar heights are these, you know, stocky jacked up dudes. You know, he's built like Lamar, but instead of being 6'3", you know, he's 5'10", or however tall he is, you know? 
I, I, I really do love Kyler Murray, but this is going to always be my reservation about him it is by the time you get to week 15, 16, 17, you're gearing up for a playoff run. Can you stay healthy enough to still be the same guy that that offense needs? And no question not having D-Hop hurts, but this is the Lions, man. The Eagles beat the Lions yeah. by 40. And you had both of your running backs back this week. I, 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 I was so at a loss for words, man. Yeah. It was, uh, to me, what it looked like on defense for the Lions because their secondary is actually pretty decent. Uh, Led by former Penn Stater Amani Oruwariye. Got an interception, by the way. Sorry, breaking news: the Raiders just beat the Browns on a game-winning field goal. Holy shit! Sixteen fourteen, your final. Wow, how about them Raiders? I hate them. Um, So, uh, so the secondary was playing well enough to to have the other uh, the other seven guys, eight guys in front of them, be like, just keep him in front of you. Kyler goes, just keep him in front of you. Uh, and it's amazing what a difference is, even though D hop hasn't had like as spectacular as of a year as uh, we're accustomed to seeing from him. But when you look at the offense without him, even on the fields, you're kind of like, eh. yeah, uh, what do you, what do you got? <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, but again, that cause so much of that comes down to like people wanting to hate on, you know, Kingsbury, you know, I don't know if Cliff Kingsbury is a good coach. I, I, and I think it's fair to question because I think Kyler Murray is such a special talent that he and D hop as well, that he makes up for a lot of stuff, but I don't think that offensive line is all, is, is all that, you know, I, and that was kind of my biggest concern with them going into the season was we saw the skill pieces. I think we all thought the defense was going to take a step forward this year, but also that defense couldn't stop shit. And when you have mm-hmm. linebackers who are these, as much as I love Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, who are these flexy kind of hybrid safety linebacker guys, when you're playing the Lions who just want to smash you in the mouth and you don't have that run stuffing defensive tackle, you know, and and, and Chandler Jones and is that no JJ Watt? I think their defense is just okay. I don't think it's great. And yeah, it's hard to throw against for sure. Byron Murphy and and obviously Buda Baker there in the back. But the, at this point, like the Rams might still be able to steal the division, which would be absolutely massive for for them. And, and the Cardinals, you know, it's one thing to lose to the Rams and all that talent, you know, even with the COVID guys that were out. You can't you can't get beat not just beat like beat down by the lions like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it was it was pretty crazy, you know, and credit to the Lions offense um for for putting together the the game that they did. I mean, Jared Goffey's what now like 7 and 2 or some 8 and 2 against the Cardinals and 2 and 0 against Cliff Kingsbury. Three, um, so uh, he did 3 3 and 0, 4 and 0. I think he was 3 and 0, three and 0 going into the game against Cliff yeah, so I mean, him continuing the dominance over the Cardinals, and then the way that they were able to just run the ball with Craig Reynolds, yeah, Craig, it's just astounding. And Amon Ross St. Brown just like flying all over the field. Like it, it was, it was really fun to watch some of these guys who've had uh, pretty decent games, like Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, just kind of explode and, and have a, a breakout against one of the the tougher defenses than what we thought 
are, are, are think still are one of the the top tier of teams in the in all of the. I think NFL. it's I think it's their weakness, right? Like, I, I think if you're getting in a shootout with the Cardinals, you're, you're not going to be setting yourself up for success. But if you're a team like Detroit who wants to punish you at the line of scrimmage and run the ball down your throat, which for most teams in the NFL, like is stoppable because they don't have a ton of elite talent. There's no, you know, DeAndre Swift, you know, we're, we're talking about Craig Reynolds is the guy running it down your throat. Like yeah. that's, you know, that's one thing. Like you can, you can stop most teams, um, you know, with that kind of an offense, but the Cardinals defense is not built to handle that. The Cardinals defense is built to cover. And I get it when you're in that division and you look at the wide receivers that are in that division, you know, whether it's Cooper Cup, now Odell Beckham's there, you have Debo, uh, Brandon Ayuk, obviously you have the two up in Seattle as well. Like you need to be able to cover and that's obviously what they invested in. It's why they have Isaiah Simmons there who can do so many different things. But even though I saw Isaiah Simmons flying all over the field, you know, he can't, he can't stop what the off, what the defensive lineman can't stop up front, you know? When there's no gap for him to shoot, when he's getting uh, guards pulling and meeting him four yards down the field, there's nothing he can do about that because the Lions yeah. were just running it at such a clip. And also, the Lions made some awesome plays. Like that interception the cornerback had reading the route and laying up for it in the third quarter. That was Oruwari. Yeah. <laughs> that dude is a beast. And hearing Akib yeah. Tlaib talk about you know him – who Akib is is obviously a, a in my opinion a Hall of Fame cornerback. Um, hearing the way he talked about him and, and how good he could be, and you think, oh yeah, they also have Jeff Akuda who, who might be coming back. You know, the, for whatever reason, man, the Lions believe in Dan Campbell, and it was really cool. It was a fun game to to see there. Um, and then the other you know shocking outcome that came out of Sunday was the Sunday night game. Um, which I know we normally go chronologically here, but I think we're just going to kind of jump around it and hit some of these yeah, games because there's some stuff that's just not worth necessarily getting into. But the Sunday night shocker, 9 nothing, first time in 15 years that Tom Brady has been shut out in a game longer than 99% of NFL quarterbacks' entire career was the streak of Tom Brady not being <laughs> shut out. Um, in, in that conversation we're having about analytics and stuff, um, it was by far the number one game in the last, I forget exactly what the statistic is. So, uh, bear with me as I try to explain it. Um, but essentially it, it's the expected like win percentage, um, based off of whether or not you kick field goals. So the worst win percentage point differential, uh, in the last, I think it was like 10 years since whenever this data, you know, they had data to go back and track it was um, last night where if the Bucks on those fourth downs had actually kicked the field goals and decided to go that route, um, it would have increased them like 29% in terms of likelihood to actually win the game. The next highest on the list was at like 11. So like (laughs) those are the situations where like, okay, the aggression came back and bit them, but you also have Tom Brady. Now the biggest, the biggest question coming out of this game is look, the saints, 4-0 4-0 against Tom Brady in the regular season since he's been in Tampa Bay. Um, just a bizarre set of, of matchups here. I was listening to Jonathan Vilma kind of break it down, and in his opinion, it's primarily just about matchups, right? Tom, you're never going to throw anything exotic or new at, at Tom Brady. So what the Saints do is they run an incredibly simple all, uh, defense that 
they can easily communicate and switch off. And they just do mm-hmm. one thing incredibly simply and incredibly efficiently. And there's nothing that Tom Brady can do because you're not, you're not going to outsmart Tom Brady on the football field. You're just not going to be yep. able to do that. So credit to the Saints for being able to go, you know, from there. But Chris Godwin, we've now learned torn ACL, done for the year. Um, yeah. Mike Evans and that hamstring, that that pesky little hamstring popping up again for Mike Evans. Uh, Gronk's wear and tear. Obviously, he's been in and out of the lineup all year. Uh, Leonard Fournette with an injury. Um, their best, their like top special teamer, is now out for the year as well with a knee injury. So and the defense was already banged up. Yeah. With Devin White. <laughs> and so now we're looking at yeah. this Tampa Bay team, right? As you know, last week we're thinking, man, is are they should they be the favorites to win the Super Bowl? And now we're thinking, could they get upset in the first round? Yeah, I mean, it depends who they wind up playing. Um, I think you'd be hard pressed to to find a team in the uh, in the bottom um, tier of the uh, of the playoff teams or even teams that could sneak in. Um, that might have a fighter's chance. I'd say maybe the Cardinals, Rams, or Niners, uh, and potentially the Saints again. Other than that, I, there's nothing here in the first round that that really excites me. If they go up, if they end up getting out of that and playing, um, playing one of those top two teams, forget it. But like, because like, they could slip down to. to four five or six right now that's what i mean like uh, if if dallas ends up leapfrogging them which is definitely possible considering you know i mean now we got a 10 and 4 team in in tampa bay uh arizona's 10 and 4 the rams if they win yeah. this week would be 10 and 4 so yeah. you know all of those teams are right in that area and if if they were to get leapfrogged and now all of a sudden the bucks have to play you know the Rams or the Cardinals, one of those teams in the first round in the wild card round, uh, that's hu- absolutely a danger zone for them. And I'll, I'll even say this, we've already seen Washington beat Tampa Bay when they were healthy. So yeah. if Washington slips in, if the Eagles slip in, right, we've seen the Eagles destroy a bunch of teams and they've already played once this year. And the numbers about teams when they play for a second, they play a second time are overwhelmingly in favor of the team that lost the first time. And that's not even San Francisco. I don't want to play San Francisco. And with how banged up. Right. If you have Tampa two good wide receivers, you should be all right. <laughs> not, not even dude. Like San Francisco is a good football team. Yeah. Like yeah. San Francisco I, it, is a really good football team. You're drastically underselling that. How I understand like, Oh, they have two good wide receivers. Well, guess what? Tampa Bay may not have two good wide receivers. They may not have a single no, I, good wide receiver going out there. Yeah. And also the 49ers secondary numbers have actually been pretty good over the last few weeks. And the defensive yeah. line has been really good and they can run the shit out of the ball. And so the other team being able to throw it on you doesn't really matter when the offense for the other team doesn't touch the ball. Cause the Niners hold the time of possession at such a drastic amount. So the Niners are a team you don't want to play right now. I, I don't think there's a good feeling in Tampa Bay when you look at these injuries. You know, we're going to get more Scotty Miller in in the, in this action. Who knows what's going to happen with Antonio Brown? Supposedly, he's going to be going yeah. live when he gets his vaccine so everyone can see the video evidence of it. Cool, dude. You still made a fake vaccine card. We're not just going to forget about that. Yeah, Tampa, right. Tampa Bay is in a seriously dangerous situation for where their season lies. And this, again is all sheltered under the umbrella of whatever the fuck happens with COVID. And I think if you're, so it's like, 
injuries mean that much more because you don't know what's going to happen if someone ends up testing positive, right? Depth at this time of the year matters anyway, but depth with COVID and everything else matters 10 times more. Oh yeah. It's, um, it's wild. I don't know. I, I think this game probably kicked Tom Brady out of, uh, the MVP conversation. I mean, statistically, he's still he's still you know up there as as one of the best quarterbacks this season. But um, oof. and how about this too? By the way, uh, the Bucks, as he was what he says, he was walking to the sidelines. Uh, Tom Brady dropped a "Go fuck yourself" that got caught on video <laughs> to the Saints sideline. Really? Yeah, which was very <laughs> funny. He. And, and smashing the the tablet. I don't know if you saw that video. He smashed a Microsoft Surface tablet. Uh, Tommy uh, Tommy was not happy. That that Saints team, for whatever reason, has his number in a way that we've never seen happen with Tom Brady. Um, yeah. I would say the last significant game, and then we can just kind of mull over a couple of storylines here. What it was the Green Bay and, and Baltimore game? Huge sure. for Green Bay to come out of that, and second week in a row that the Ravens have or I guess second in the last three weeks that the Ravens had an opportunity at the goal line um, after scoring a touchdown to do it, have a two point conversion and win the game and uh, came up just a touch short. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, since we've been talking about analytics, right. And John Harbaugh is one of the, the guys who, who dives into that pretty, pretty deeply in terms of uh, when and where to go for it. Uh, on fourth down and, and go for two and all that good stuff. Yeah. Why, when you're down 14, or I think it was, was it 14? Why, when you're down uh, a lot, trying to come back in the middle of the fourth quarter, don't you go for two? Uh, the first time? Yeah, the first time. Instead of, oh, no, it, was, it wasn't 14. I think it was, uh, they were down. They were down eight. They were down by one score. Yeah, eight. And so why don't you go for two that time? Uh when there was plenty of time left on the clock for you to come back and then, and then save it for the, uh, for the last uh, play of the game. I, I don't dislike the move, especially in Baltimore's circumstance of you're down eight, kick the extra point. Um, you're not getting anything out of it, right? Because even if you don't get it, it's still a two point game. So a field goal would win the game anyway. Um, and you would have a chance to tie it, which it would obviously extend the game. So there's really you're not doing anything by just kicking the extra point because you're you're taking a two point game and making it a one point game. Um, so you might as well try to go for the tie because you're still within field goal range and there's still time left on the clock to go down and potentially kick a field goal, especially when you know you have Justin Tucker there. So yeah, yeah, that to me didn't make a whole lot of sense um, unless you just didn't unless you didn't have a whole lot of confidence in Tyler Huntley to do it. Um, which I mean, the way he played, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't, or the only other yeah. thing would be if you have like a, if you have a two point conversion play that you love that you absolutely believe in and you don't want to blow it on, you know, the middle of the fourth quarter, you'd rather save that in case you need it at the end. But again, um, like that's one of the one of the few like the four the fourth down going for it all that shit that I actually get like I actually get some of the criticism there because mm -hmm. why not just go for it? why not go for it when a field goal you know it's not like you're a two point conversion makes it a two point game and a, a um, 
you know, or a one point game. And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense is what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, so you're right. But I, I honestly, I think the biggest, the bigger thing out of this game for me, um, obviously the Ravens looked good. Um, even with the backup, uh, the great audition for Tyler really, Huntley, huh? He's been great, man. <laughs> I, every time he's in, we talked about him last week. Like he's, yeah. he's good. Now, do I think he'd be a great backup on any other team? No. And I think he benefits from playing in a system that was designed in a roster that was designed for a player with similar skill sets as, as him. Um, mm-hmm. He reminds he me is, of a better Jacoby Brissett. Oh, he's far more athletic than Jacoby. Oh, oh yeah. But like, like Jacoby Brissett can't run for shit. Jacoby Brissett is like, run. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, he's a QB sneak specialist. Jacoby Brissett's yeah. comp is like, watered down Ben Roethlisberger like just a big guy kind of mobile hard to bring down um I, honestly like he's Tyler Huntley's comp is is Lamar like it's that it, it's a little bit of Lamar it's a little bit of Kyler just not as good of a thrower um as either of them but I don't know man I wouldn't be so like if you're if you're Baltimore you should pay serious money to keep him as your backup mm-hmm. Because yeah, if you're able to replicate that skill set, and again, got to remember how Baltimore's whole roster is built to make Lamar Jackson seem like the the most be the most successful version of Lamar. So they've built this whole roster around him from the offensive line, from the scheme, from the offensive coordinators and their game planning. If you go from Lamar to Joe Flacco, right when Flacco was the backup, or even Trace McSorley who I like and is relatively mobile, but is obviously not like Lamar or Tyler Huntley, um, you lose some of that. And so now you bring in Tyler Huntley, he can do a decent amount of what Lamar already does and can do it at a pretty high level, as we saw against a good defense in Green Bay. Um, Green Bay still hasn't had Jair Alexander back. I'm starting to get a little bit worried about when we see him, uh, but there was also no Zadarius White in this game either. So is there Darius Smith? I don't know. Oh, man, my brain is not functioning today at all. I come away from this game being more certain that the Packers are the best team in the NFL. Yep. Um, Agree. The it's... defense didn't have a great day, and the offense was like, it's cool. Like, we got you. Um, and they definitely got lucky there, right, because the two-point conversion goes, and we're talking about a whole other, you know, ball game here. But I still think that the Packers defense is good enough. And I don't think there's a single team out there that can slow down Aaron Rodgers and can slow down this team. He just seems like a man on a mission. Um, Naturally, that'll mean that when we get to the playoff time, he'll probably come up short in the NFC championship game against, you know, the Rams or some random team, but the way that they're playing and, and for him, it's 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 a complete mastery of the position because he's still mobile in ways that like Tom Brady is not mobile. Um, he still looks more like prime Aaron Rodgers than I think even Brady does at certain moments. Now, there are moments with Brady where I'm like, you look better now than you did it. You ever did in New England. Um, but the arm talent, the arm angles, the velocity, the deep ball, the scrambling, um, and the way he just sees the game right now, it's just – I don't know if I've if I've seen a better two-year run of a quarterback when it comes to just an absolute mastery of every element of what it means to be a quarterback. And that's why I've always said, yeah. like, the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life 
is Aaron Rodgers. He's not the GOAT, right? I've always made that distinction. But last year and this year, he won the MVP last year. He's the leader. Him and, and Brady are the leaders in the clubhouse right now to win the MVP in 2021. If he goes back-to-back MVPs and goes on to win a Super Bowl, I mean, what an unbelievable stretch at 37, 38 that, yeah. that we'd see out of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, not that he wouldn't have had the uh, the bust, but uh, I would just give it to him now. <laughs> Forget oh, yeah. the five year waiting period. <laughs> well, I think he's got to. I think he's got to wait for that that guy down in Tampa Bay to get his first. Probably, if, <laughs> if we're going to be giving out busts before players' careers are over, I think you got to give it to Tommy B before you give it to A Rod. Of course. Um, right. But I just I feel compelled to tell people again, like just sit down, whether you like him or not. I get it, but if you're a fan of the, of the sport of football. Just watch the dude, man. Just watch him step out there and and just have complete control. It's it's unlike anything you can see, you know. And like even on Rogers' bad games in these last couple of years, like Rogers has never had a stinker game like Tom Brady did last night in the mm-hmm. last two years. Like the worst version of Aaron Rodgers we've seen in the last two years was the opening week this year against New Orleans. And other than that, like Rogers has been spectacular. And when you consider that the Packers' losses are, um, you know, the game against Kansas City with no Jordan with, with Jordan Love and no Aaron Rodgers, the the back and forth shootout game against Minnesota, and uh, and then that fluky game against New Orleans in Week One, um, this was probably the, the the closest like legitimate test. Obviously, the Minnesota game, but that's the that's the division rivalry. There's some other shit going on with that too. This was felt like the closest that a team has come. That's like, hey, like we're actually like a, like we're we're gonna challenge you to try to be a better football team, and they just when it came down to it, I mean, they're up fourteen nothing, and before halftime, Aaron Rodgers like boom touchdown, boom touchdown, we're gonna be tied up going to half, and we're gonna be fine, and mm-hmm. you can't beat them, man. They're they're just that good. Um, other storylines here from the game, I'm gonna kind of leave this one open ended, right? Because, um, you know, obviously the Titans losing and blowing that lead to the Steelers is is very impactful in the overall race. Uh, Titans yeah. now at nine and five, the Colts at eight. How many and six. times? How many times have they had a chance to solidify themselves as the number one team in the AFC and blown it? And their losses this year are atrocious. Like the Steelers, for all intents and purposes, at seven, six, and one, are still in the playoff hunt. But who are the other Titans' losses? The Jets. Uh, the Jets the loss Texans. is bad. They lost to the Cardinals in Week One. Um, they lost to the Jets and then they didn't lose again against the Cardinals, but then it was the hard fought game against the Patriots. Um, and now this game against the Steelers. So Cardinals, Pat Steelers. Um, I don't think any of those three are bad losses, obviously two horrible losses with the Texans and the, and the Jets, but I have a different take on Tennessee, which is that I'm actually more impressed. I think with Tennessee, um, just losing what they losing Derrick Henry, losing Julio Jones, losing A.J. Brown, and people are criticizing Ryan Tannehill. And I'm like, you could, like, we'll see what's going to happen with Tom Brady here, but I think there's probably only two or three quarterbacks in the league that you could take away their number one, number two weapons, and their best overall player on offense, um, and and Derrick Henry, and would still be any good. You know, Lamar would be able to make some sort of, you know, some sort of difference because of how mobile he is. But the fact that, you know, they've still beaten, you know, they beat the Rams without Derrick Henry. 
Um, they beat the Colts when, when Derrick Henry went down beforehand. They beat the shit out of the Chiefs. I forgot about that game. Um, and, you know, they beat the shit out of the Jaguars last week, 20 to nothing. Their defense has really come along and played really, really strong football. And mm-hmm. I don't know what else to expect out of Ryan Tannehill. Like, what else is he supposed to do? He's throwing to guys who you've never heard of, I've never heard of. He's got Deontay Foreman running behind him, who has looked really, you know, pretty good at some points. Their offensive yeah. line's always just been okay. Um, and, and Adam Ferkser is probably his most reliable weapon. Like, I, what else is Ryan Tannehill supposed to do? And yet, there they were. Like, the fu- like the fumble by Deontay Foreman killed him. But it's not like Tannehill's sitting here throwing lame duck interceptions. He's scrambling, running for his life, and yet he's kept them in every single game. They almost beat the Patriots. Now, the scoreboard mm-hmm. makes it look like it wasn't close at all. It was 36-13. But that was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. And and eventually the defense kind of let them down in that. But to beat a good Saints defense, to beat the Rams, to beat the Colts, to beat the Chiefs, they beat the Bills, you know, and then looking at the fact that they've been really competitive in a lot of games without their best player. Um, I don't know what else we can ask from, from Ryan Tannehill other than that. I don't either. I still think they're going to be one of the top four teams. I think they'll win the division. They have the tiebreaker of the Colts and the only division game left because they beat the Colts twice. The only division game left they have is at Houston to end the season. So, I mean, they got if the, you're one of those top four in the AFC. I think you're in, in good shape. They got the Niners Thursday night. Um, they got the Dolphins who, I mean, the Dolphins are seven and seven now. Unbelievable. Six game winning streak for Miami. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then they wrap up the season with Miami uh, they they have to lose two out of their last three, and um, the Colts have to win out for them not to to get one of the top four seeds, um, which I think is I think is real realistic to some degree. But uh, the Colts have a really I forget who the Colts are playing this week. Um, I don't know if it's this week or down the line, but the Colts have a have a uh, one tricky game, and then it's easy. They got the Cardinals. Colts and Cardinals um, this week. Yeah, and the Raiders, who are still and in the playoffs, the Raiders their the win tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then they wrap up with the Jags. So, um, I think, I mean, there's a chance the Colts win all three of those, but uh, I, I do think, I don't know, I, Indianapolis might steal this. In, Indy might find a way to steal that, which would be <laughs> an unbelievable story um, for them. I saw this too. Somebody had a funny tweet just in terms of the Eagles and Carson Wentz and everything. It was like Carson Wentz had a broken foot, two sprained ankles, and was unvaccinated and yet didn't miss hardly any snaps all season. He's like, that is so dumbfoundingly shocking considering everything this year. But now he's officially hit the threshold, so um, the Eagles will get their first round pick. Um, but then the, the Colts Congrats. and the Dolphins are doing a whole lot to make sure it's, they're, they're not as good a picks as we might've thought. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah. So, uh, but the Steelers, I mean, the Steelers are right in this for the AFC North too, man. I mean, it's anybody, I still think that the Bengals are the best team. Um, but the Bengals are eight and six, I guess, technically with the Browns losing now, the, the Bengals, I believe are in first place in the AFC North. I'm going to double Correct. check this. Um, I don't know if they have it uh, set up yet. Yeah. The, um, the Bengals are now in first place in the AFC North. 
and right behind them are the Ravens and they play again. I believe that's uh, next week or maybe, maybe this week. I don't know. And then the Steelers seven, six and one and the Browns at seven and seven. I mean, it's, it's a game between four teams. It's just absolutely absurd how tight that. Uh, and they all play each other. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of like that, you know, the NFC East here. I mean, I mean the giants stink, so they're out of it, but Washington and Philly at six and seven, uh, you know, each, um, uh, tomorrow night's going to go a long way in, in figuring out the, the rankings there. Uh, speaking of, do we feel – I was looking at the lines. It doesn't seem like the lines have changed all that much since we've made our picks. I mean, the Eagles are down to six-and-a-half-point favorite. They were seven when we picked. Um, the Rams were a four-and-a-half-point favorite. They're now a seven-point favorite against Seattle tomorrow night, um, mm. which is pretty surprising, all things considered. Um but I guess just to look at where we stand right now, uh, Packers are 11 and three. They got a full game up on everyone else. The Cowboys are now the number two team in the NFC. Oh, dear. Um, how about that? Wow. They get the tiebreaker uh, because they have better win percentage in conference games than Arizona and Tampa Bay. Wow. Cowboys are eight and one in conference. So as if the Cowboys hold serve, they're going to end up as the two seed. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, and then as it stands right now, now we got to remember two Washington and Philly both have to play. Um, but the five seed are the Rams. So it's Dallas, then Tampa, then Arizona, Arizona falls from one to four with that loss. Uh, and now you have the Rams at five. The Niners at six. So the division we all thought was going to be loaded and was going to make a lot of noise. Turns out that we were actually right about that. Um, at least as it stands. Got one and, thing right. <laughs> and now the Saints. The Saints are seven and seven after that win. Now, I don't think the Saints are going to make the playoffs. They're actually not as far out of it as I thought. Um, but they get Minnesota, who is playing right now against Chicago. Uh, if Minnesota wins, they and New Orleans would have the same record. Um, but I think Minnesota would have a slot. And then we're going to have Washington and Philly. If Washington wins, New Orleans would still be in the playoffs. But if Philly wins, the Eagles would jump into the seventh seed because they have the head-to-head against New Orleans. Um, but I think they need Minnesota to probably lose this game because I think Minnesota might have the advantage over Philly. Um in the division or at least in the conference. Cause right now, I don't know they're both four and four. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the next tiebreaker would be. The tiebreakers in the NFL can be really fucking weird sometimes. Yeah. They are bizarre. Really bizarre. And, and look, look at this for the Colts or the uh, Cardinals. So you got the Colts and the Cowboys and the Seahawks two out of your next three games are going to be not so easy. And, uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't shock Seattle up for a win either. Uh, I, I don't know. No, not at this point. Yeah. Um, anything else that we haven't hit? I mean, look, the Houston Jacksonville game definitely. Don't, I need to talk about that. Um, your yeah. Niners looked awesome against Atlanta, but we touched on Atlanta uh, uh, about the Niners a little bit there. Uh, the Dolphins on there a little bit of a run. The Bills. I mean, it was yeah. a big. The Bills is a big win. It was a big win for Buffalo. Um, yeah. But I, I'll tell you what, man. I, I was very early on the Buffalo just doesn't look right train this year. I was very early in like October. I was like, just something about this offense doesn't look and feel right. And 
they've definitely found some things, but they're not going to be able to run the ball like they did uh, against Carolina, against other good teams when they're in the playoffs, right? It's still this, the, yeah. the vast majority of it's still going to fall on um, Josh Allen's arm and, uh, and his legs a little bit too. But they were, it was funny. I think they wanted to make a statement because it was like the fourth quarter and Josh Allen had not had a single rushing attempt yet in that game. And they were like, we're going to prove that we, we don't need to run Josh Allen. Um, but the reality is if, if you're in a tight game against a, a pl- another playoff team in the, in the postseason, you're, you're going to have to run Josh Allen a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, you are. The other anything, one, too, is the, yeah, the AFC say. West. The AFC West is wide open. I mean, the Broncos, even with the, with the Chargers losing, the Broncos had a shot at, that, uh, at leading the division. Uh, or t- I'm sorry, leading the or jumping ahead of them in that in that into that wild card spot in the second spot in the in the division, and they got beat by the Bengals. Now the <laughs> the Broncos are sitting at, in 13th at seven and seven, and they still shot to play. There there <laughs> there are three teams in the in the AFC who are eliminated. The uh, 14, 15, and 16 take a take a wild guess. It's the Jets, Texans, and and Jaguars, the first three picks in the draft. And then the Broncos at 500 still have a shot at the playoffs. So we're rooting for you, Vito, and uh, yeah. hope all three of our teams get into the playoffs. That'd be fun. No, I, I, I feel good about our bet with him. I think, I think we're getting oh, at around. This point, yeah. Yeah. I think we're getting around a golf courtesy of Mr. Vito there. Yeah. Uh, well, they got to win out. Seven. So. Yeah. They'd have to win out. Um, probably not likely as they have to play the Chargers and the Chiefs. Um, but you never know, man. Crazier, crazier shits happened. Uh, that too, that Teddy Bridgewater. I hope he's okay, man. That was crazy. yes. Now, I, I, has anyone had worse luck than that guy, man? In in the uh, NFL, honestly, yeah. it's uh, it is it is scary. It is scary. Um, and credit to uh, we also forgot to talk about this with Green Bay, first team to to clinch a playoff spot officially. Hey, how about um, that? There we go. And they also clinched the uh, NFC North, I believe, as well, right? What is the Z <laughs> uh, clinch division? Yeah. So there we go. We got a we got a team, at least one, already into the playoffs. Uh, but it, we're, the picture's starting to get a little bit clearer. It's just going to be one of those ancillary pieces that kind of file in and um, and fill out the rest of this. But Buffalo, New England's going to be tight down the wire. The AFC North's going to be tight. I think the AFC South's going to be tight. And um, – I don't know. NFC I think, West I think, apparently is going to be tight. Yeah, the NFC West now all of a sudden. I mean, again, LA wins tomorrow. Um, oh, yeah. So if LA wins tomorrow, they will leapfrog. No, because is it divisional record? Oh, I hate this. Because for the playoff <laughs> rankings, it's been they've been saying it's the record against the conference, not necessarily the division. So if the Rams were to win tomorrow, they would go to three and two in the division and seven and three overall in the conference. But the Cardinals are four and one in the division, but six and four in the conference. So depending on what the actual tiebreaker is there, if it's conference and the Rams would jump into first place in the NFC West, but if it's division, then the Cardinals will still hold on to it. Yeah. The first, uh, if it's two uh, teams in a, in a tiebreaker, it's a head to head. And then the second tiebreaker is which they uh, split vision. Yeah. Okay. So then it's okay. So the Cardinals will still hold on to it, but uh, it'll be close there. Yeah. Three and two versus four and one. Um, and the Cardinals got to play Dallas too. Wow. 
That's going to be an interesting game, Dallas and, and Arizona. That should be a Sunday night game if it's not already. But yeah. <laughs> all right. I think I know the answer, but who's the MVP? For the like 10th week in a row, it's Jonathan Taylor. Well, 10 I weeks mean, ago, it was Derrick Henry, but. Oh, well, yeah. So in ninth week in a row. So, <laughs> no, man, look, I said it. I've said it multiple times. You take this guy off of the Colts, and, and what do they look like? They look like a sub-500 team to me. He's, his stats are unbelievable. He's already up over 1,500 yards, and what he can do in the receiving game out of the backfield is nothing short of phenomenal. Um, he's, he's got all the tools, man, and he's finding the end zone more this year than he did last year. So yeah. I, I, I love – I love Jonathan Taylor as a, as a runner, as, as a receiver, all of it. I love, I do love Jonathan Taylor, but the problem with your argument is if you took him off the Colts, they would probably be like a, I don't know, six and eight team right now, maybe. Right. So sub 500, they're eight and six. You'd be getting two more wins. Take Aaron Rodgers off the green Bay Packers. Mm. Yeah, they're 0 1 without him. So they go from 11 and 3 to, I don't know, probably maybe 500 if Jordan loves the quarterback. Even if you put Kirk yeah. Cousins in as, as the starting quarterback, the value of wins alone is just that much more. And I think it's going to flip. Now, again, I don't say that to mitigate Jonathan Taylor, who is objectively fantastic. But I've made the case on the show so many times about how running backs, just individual stud running backs, are just not as valuable. You can replicate that production. The Patriots have been doing it all year, you know, with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Um, the Browns are able to do it with two really good running backs, and when they're both healthy, and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, right? And as as much as I love Jonathan Taylor, and I loved him at Wisconsin. I, I remember saying, like, I, my rule about never drafting running backs in the first round, he is one of the rare exceptions that I might actually consider doing that because I just thought he was that special. The guy ran for 6,000 yards in three seasons. That's insane. He was literally averaging 2,000 yeah. yards a year in college. He is the best co- – and you're going to hate me for saying this, but he was a better running back in college than Saquon. It's borderline – Yeah. It was, it's borderline inarguable. Yeah. I mean, Saquon never had a 2001, 2000 yard rushing season, let alone three that Jonathan Taylor had. And yeah. And, 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 and I'll say this Taylor. Too, they, the offense at Wisconsin was a lot more boring, a lot more elementary than, yeah. than what they were running at Penn State when Saquon was there. So it's not necessarily a fair thing. So I get it. But I look at, Jonathan Taylor as one of the most incredible running backs I've ever seen in college. I put him in that Reggie Bush esque, you know, I mean, 6,000 yards. He would have broken the all time record if he stayed for a senior year. Instead he goes and he's having an awesome career and um, I am happy for him, but he's not the MVP because we've figured out that it is a quarterback award for a reason because the most valuable player in the league is the most valuable position by nature, which is always going to be the quarterback. So, but I love that you so make Aaron case. Bleeping Rogers for you, Aaron <laughs> fucking Rogers. I love that guy. I don't love him, but I love him as a quarterback. Goddamn, I used to love him. 
And then he had to go all weird with his COVID and his feet and toes. Um, Jeopardy. I did want to get into this a little bit, and we can touch on it briefly. For the first time this year, I had one of the TVs I was watching on on something other than football on Sunday. And I was locked into the PNC Open or whatever it was called, the golf tournament. Um, Tiger Woods playing golf again. He and his son, Charlie, yeah. together. Just absolutely spectacular, man. Just that absolutely. That swing is so pure. He's like, so good. He's so, so good. And it was funny because last so- <laughs> year when they did this, and he did it last year and everyone freaked out about it, he was 11. He's 12 now. But he had that little kid swing that you see in, sometimes in like smaller female golfers you see it too, where you can really tell how much they're, they're ripping their hips through right? Because their arms are, they're just not as big as, as total. Um, mm-hmm. So there's kind of like a little herky jerkiness to it. But if you slow down the swing, you realize it's smooth. They just have to do that because they have to rip their hips through so much. And I, I saw him this year and I'm like, just that one year of growth alone and how incredible his swing was. I mean, on 17 yeah. on Sunday, he hit a shot on a par three and the, the announcers were saying they were like, Literally, there's been the three people all week who've taken that line because there's such little space to work it. And he hit an absolute dart, teeing off from the same tees as Tiger and Matt Kuchar, Matt Kuchar's son, who are obviously all significantly older than him and fully grown adults. Um, and he's the one of the only people that took that line, and he hit the shot of the week on 17. They end up finishing second to John Daly and John Daly uh, Jr., um, but how cool is that, man? Just it, it, it just warmed yeah. my heart. I thought it was and seeing Tiger back. After, I mean, we're less than a year from yeah. thinking like I remember thinking like this is Kobe Bryant all over again when that stuff came out about the car crash, and um, yep, almost ab- amputating his leg. To now he's pipe he piped a three hundred and fifty yard drive, dude. He outdrove Justin Thomas on multiple holes. And yet he's talking about, man, I just don't have this, the swing speed or the, the, the distance right now, but hopefully soon. It was awesome. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It was good to see Tiger back too. And I think part of what I garnered from watching it, now I'm not a father yet, but I, I, part of what I garnered from watching it was a lot of the thought that Tiger might have had is like, hey, you know, maybe I'll take it easy on the, the golf tour because this seems more enjoyable. Like getting to play with my son is more enjoyable. Yeah, and, and especially the level that his son plays at, man. Like, there were shots that I saw just on, you know, you just going through Instagram and like the PGA Tour would would show the highlights or, or Golf Digest or whatever. And some of these shots, I mean, just pure down the middle stripers. Uh, you know, he's putting mid iron shots within four or five inches of the cup. Uh, from, oh, dude, from he distance. hit yeah, and he it's hit like, one to an inch. You know, on like, yeah. a, like it was a approach shot. It wasn't a par three, um, but it was an approach shot on a par four that he landed to an inch of the cup. Yeah. And, and the cool yes. thing too is, and I get a lot of people like, Hey, the pressure that's on that kid has to be enormous. So like, I can't even sure. imagine, but I've heard a lot. There was a lot of people like, let the kid be a kid, man. Like we were putting all this pressure on him. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, he signed up to do this, right? He wants to do yeah. it. But when Maybe you listen, like, <laughs> But like when you listen to Tiger talk about it um, and not necessarily in the, like, what does this mean to you, Tiger, to do like those answers are great. But the thing that was more interesting to me was talking about how Charlie, his son, has developed this interest in the game on his own. Like 
he wants to be in tournaments. He has this competitive edge. Like he has a certain mindset about it that it's very clear. Like, this is his thing at a young age. And I think if he decided like a year from now, like, no, I'm done playing golf. Cool. But you don't get that swing. You don't have that feel. You don't have that touch. And and then the mental side of it, which it's clear this kid already has, is he's chirping Justin Thomas on Saturday, you know, as he's he's sinking a 15-foot putt and then bending down, picking up his dad's ball mark and throwing it back to him. To like, hey, yo, Pops, I got this. And it's Tiger fucking Woods that he's doing it to. I mean, yeah. this kid has a chance to be unbelievable. Um, but – and I get it. Like, don't put pressure on it. Don't be the weird guy, like, obsessing over a kid or whatever. But I just thought it was super cool, man. And, and for Tiger, yeah, who for sure. I, one of my favorite pods I ever did on this cha- on this show was I did a, a thing about the Tiger Woods documentary, which ironically is our least listened to episode of all time. Um, it was very early on, so we just didn't have a lot of listeners at the time. But I thought, it w- I, thought I did a good job. I enjoyed doing it. But the Tiger documentary – it's amazing the level of empathy and stuff you can, you can have while also recognizing how, you know, kind of scummy he was at some other points of his life. And to now be at a point where he can be with his family, he's done all this stuff. He's made it back to the mountaintop and he can go and play golf and do all this. Um, it's heartwarming to say the least. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there because I thought it was spectacular. And I was an inch away from my first hole in one ever on Saturday. So, Oh, it was brutal, dude. I striked a nine iron. Striped a nine <laughs> iron about 130. And I literally, dude, it lipped out of the cup. I could see it oh. from where I was seeing off. It lipped in and out of the cup. And uh, yeah, it was a heartbreaker. But now I know that I'm capable, right? Not been that good. I'm an okay golfer. I'm a pretty good golfer. We've swung it a few times, Scotty. Yeah. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Well, I shot a 39 on nine holes, so I felt pretty good at that. All right, that's it. That all day. We're outie. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all on Friday. Take it easy, everybody.